to the Impact Education LLC Payer Talk CE program entitled Health Plan Implementation Recommendations for Real-Time Continuous Glucose Monitoring. So let's get started. My name is Jeff Dunn. I am the Chief Clinical Officer at Cooperative Benefits Group, and I'm joined today by Dr. Roy Gandolfi, who is Medical Director at Select Health. Jeff, it's a pleasure being here today. For the people in the audience, they don't know that Jeff and I have known each other for over 20 years. Jeff was a pharmacist, a lead pharmacist at Select Health before he has his new role. And it's always a pleasure talking with Jeff. I'm an internist and a medical director at Select Health. I also participate in a large multi-specialty clinic in Salt Lake. For those who do not know, Select Health is the insurance arm of Intermountain Healthcare. We have commercial Medicaid and Medicare plans and have over a million members. My participation or role in the plan is primarily developing medical policies for Select Health, but also am one of the members of the Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee. Thank you. And yes, Select Health is a well-known entity throughout the country, and it's a model for integrated delivery. And it's going to be a pleasure talking to you and catching up, Dr. Gandolfi. So to start, first question for you is around your coverage of continuous glucose monitors. So Select Health provides access for CGMs across several lines of their business, including your Medicare Advantage plan. Can you tell us about Select Health's review of the clinical evidence and the decision-making process that went into the coverage of the real-time CGM? For us to make these determinations, Jeff, first of all, we're gonna be following the ADA guidelines concerning the use of continuous glucose monitors. As I'm sure the audience knows, CGMs have a dominant role in type 1 diabetes. The role of CGMs in type 2 diabetes was initially unclear, but I think more and more evidence is coming out that in those individuals who have the risk of hypoglycemia, those on sulfonylureas or those who are obviously on short-acting insulin who are more prone to developing hypoglycemia and experiencing those symptoms and having to go to the emergency room, these are the individuals that have been identified who have most of the benefit with avoiding those significant complications, as well as improving the A1C level by the use of the continuous glucose monitor. We're not only gonna be looking at the ADA, we're gonna be looking at the published literature and as you know, the A1C level reduction maybe has not been as significant, but there's clearly documentation of improved A1C and more of the avoidance of the hypoglycemia by using the CGM, primarily as mentioned in the type one versus the type two. And of course, we're gonna be looking at the LCD. You know, the newer highlights of the LCD came out and removed the need to have four self-monitoring blood glucose levels before an individual could acquire it. The only rule that's dominating within the new LCD is the need to have short-acting 
insulin still being administered by the individual. I can tell you anecdotally in my practice, it is amazing the significant benefit I have seen in my members. First of all, we obviously strive to just have patients perform frequent self-monitoring blood glucose, especially if they're on insulin. And it's been amazing to me over the years how reluctant people are. But now by placing a CGM, these individuals do not have to do that type of self-monitoring. They are amazed by the significant changes in their glucose with certain foods. And I have had dramatic improvement in A1C levels in all individuals. And matter of fact, I even have individuals who are willing to pay out of pocket when they don't meet criteria by either different payers or by even the LCD and purchase it on their own. And I'm stunned by the significant benefit of reduction and better compliance when people see their glucoses continuously. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing response from your patients. And I think it's really cool that you provide both a payer perspective, but also a practicing physician perspective. This is great. Diabetes is super complicated, and this is leveraging technology. It makes things easier. It obviously has data showing a change in A1C, but it also focuses on time and range. And as you mentioned, hypoglycemic events. So total cost of care improves. So yeah, it's just, it's a patient engagement part, I think is super important as well. So kind of along those lines, you're doing, and Select Health is doing really more than just, you know, now covering real-time CGM devices. Can you go into some of the quality improvement work that you're also working on? Sure. I'd like to also state that even in our Medicare population, for 2023, we are making some exceptions. We are allowing our members, even if they're on basal insulin alone, to have the opportunity to share this technology. So we will be covering the CGM in our Medicare population, even if they're just on a basal insulin. But besides these things, there's obviously certain metrics that we have to look at in our populations. Number one is the HEDA scores, our STARS measurement, our compliance. And what we have found is that besides the education that the provider is able to deliver in the office, we realize that those tools are just not enough. And so besides the care management team at Select Health, identifying individuals who are prone to hospitalizations or emergency room visits, those with elevated A1C, we now are offering virtual tools that they can do at home in order to look at their lifestyle and also factor in the behavioral component as looking at compliance and how important that compliance is, not only for the medications of their diabetes, but obviously it's important for us with their statin use and STAR measurements that all this be incorporated in this online tool for our patients to explore on their own time. No, appreciate that. Yeah, diabetes obviously has been a quality disease state for a long time. It was one of the original quality disease states. And it's been really hard to improve quality metrics over 20 years that I've been doing this, despite all of the things that you've mentioned, MTM and care management and everything else. And so I think it's really exciting to see what you're doing and how we can actually have a better impact on, on outcomes. But 
in fairness, I'm guessing this wasn't 100% smooth sailing. So were there any key steps or challenges that maybe you could point out or talk about for our listeners as they're maybe trying to answer some of these same questions? Yes. Some of the members of the PNT committee were concerned that if we broke away from the LCD and stated that basal insulin, for instance, was still could be only one criteria for receiving the continuous glucose monitor, that we were going to cause confusion for the provider and therefore make it so that they were requesting continuous glucose monitors with other Medicare Advantage plans. But what we felt was in order to optimize the care, provide safety for our members, but also I would say potentially reduce the cost and potentially reduce the need for short-acting insulin and run into the complications, that by having this information to the member to change their lifestyle could be pivotal for them. And we also recognize that individuals may not wear this all the time. But with contracting and so forth, we've been able to reduce the cost of the CGM and say to an individual, if you're running out of control, put back on the continuous glucose monitor, something that they may not have to use all the time. The ADA also made mention that individuals, especially in the type 2 world, may not need to wear the device all the time. But still, if there's a change in lifestyle, change in maybe their clinical situation, to put back on the continuous glucose monitor for enhanced control. I'd also like to mention that this is not just about safety. It's also about cost. It's about saying, how can we reduce potentially the amount of insulin? How can we reduce potentially the use of GLP-1s or even SGLT-2s if people have the information as to how diet and exercise behavior modification can work in order to keep the A1C level down and avoid the extreme complications associated with diabetes. Many in the audience may know that Intermountain Healthcare has, with a group of other health plans and hospitals, now is going to be producing insulin which is going to substantially reduce the cost. So besides what the federal government is doing for co-pays with individuals with the $35, Intermountain Healthcare also saw the need to decrease the cost of insulin. And these are some other cost-saving measures that Select Health has available using the Civica, the pharmaceutical end of Intermountain Healthcare in order to keep the cost down. Perfect. I think the nice thing about what you're doing is it's going to help other organizations like myself who maybe aren't part of an IDN, you know, that separate pharmacy from medical and just by nature, we're a little bit more siloed. So seeing this information will be super helpful when we're talking about total cost of care and offsets and ROI, because sometimes that data is hard to get. So that is hopefully something that you guys are going to work on and maybe publish some of this stuff so the rest of us can learn from it. One other aspect, Jeff, that I know this is mostly talking about the patient's continuous glucose monitor, but I can't emphasize enough that when a provider in the office sees that the member's out of control, especially those on short-acting insulin, and we know how frustrating it can be that we have limited data 
on how to adjust the insulin regimen, I would highly suggest placing a professional continuous glucose monitor on in order to enhance the control for those individuals and share with them, with the report in the office, the areas that raise concern and how adjustments to their therapeutic regimen could be implemented in order to demonstrate enhanced A1C control in the future. I appreciate that. So to conclude, you've touched on this, but maybe you can just comment on what's next for you, what's next for Select Health, just moving forward in this space. I think the key is that the more education that our members have, whether it's our virtual tool, whether it's the implementation of continuous glucose monitors that we find are actually going to be cost savings for us. And actually, we're going to be enrolling members in a study looking at continuous glucose monitors, not in patients who are on insulin, but those individuals who are losing control with potentially one or two drugs and trying to demonstrate for them that they can still do this with oral medication, potentially not injectable medication. The more knowledge our members have, my belief is the more they can change their lifestyle, improve their exercise, improve their dietary restrictions, and make it so that they don't suffer the long-term consequences, as we all know, of the neuropathy, the CKD, the strokes, the ischemic heart disease that we're all trying to prevent. I think this tool not is only going to improve the time spent in control, but it's going to demonstrate as well in the long term that we have reductions in all those comorbidities that I just mentioned associated with diabetes. I couldn't agree more. We have to have good data to make good decisions. And we both kind of alluded to this. Patient engagement is such an important component of just taking care of them. Uh, We can't tell them what to do. They have to be part of the decision-making process. And this is a pretty exciting path and, and tool for doing that. And I think we will see some very significant improvements in outcomes in the foreseeable future. Now we will turn the time over for audience question and answers. Roy, we've actually had a couple of questions around the CMS proposed changes to the LCD criteria. The first is just around the change concerning one or more daily administrations or in those with diabetes and experiencing hypoglycemia despite changes to their regimen. First of all, what do you think the impact is going to be of the proposed changes? And you mentioned the LCD earlier. So, I mean, what do you think this is going to do? Well, Jeff, I think that this is going to play a dynamic role in how providers evaluate and treat their patients. I think that patients are partly going to be driving this with this educational piece, that I think that there's been an unawareness of providers, not in endocrinology, but in the PCP world of using CGMs. I'm not sure if it's a issue of they feel uncomfortable with it or they don't know how to look at the data, but I think by CMS opening this up for basal insulin, like we are going to be doing in 2023, but also looking at the risk of hypoglycemia, even with oral drugs, that this is going to demonstrate to all providers and patients that this is a valuable tool. It's going to improve control. It's going to limit for those people with hypoglycemia, obviously going to the emergency room 
And I think this is going to be a dynamic change. Perfect. Thank you. So the second question associated with that, and I'll just read it. So since CMS only covers select types of CGM, how does this affect your ability to provide coverage to your Medicare beneficiaries? It really doesn't impact us. We contract with the two largest vendors for continuous glucose monitoring. We do our best at negotiating rates in order to provide this service to our members. The issue is availability, and I think that we've achieved this with our vendors. Uh, great. Thank you. So we've talked a lot about Medicare and commercial. You mentioned you have Medicaid Lives as well. Are there any differences among the books of business or anything that our listeners would potentially need to be aware of as we're talking about commercial versus Medicaid, for example? I don't think as a pair, we should be looking only at Medicare and their changes. I think that even at Select Health, we need to expand the benefit to our commercial plan. So CMS may be leading the way in regards to the basal like we were with Medicare, but I think that with the data that we're going to be obtaining, that I think that advancing this and expanding it to the commercial world only makes sense. And as I mentioned in the talk, this isn't just about hypoglycemia. This is about significant improvement in A1Cs that's been documented. Recent publication last year, there was a randomized controlled trial looking at basal insulin and alone with self-monitoring blood glucose versus a CGM. And there was a, approximately a 0.9 improvement in A1C. So I think this is the data that CMS was looking at to make this change. And also just the cost of the emergency room and the anxiety for a lot of our members. So I think that the things that are gonna be driving the CGM use is the A1C reduction, the decreased events, enhanced utilization, not only just on the insulin and improvement, but also, as I've mentioned in the talk, looking at GLP-1s. I mean, the average cost is gonna be $600 a month. If we could use this tool to educate our members and illustrate to them that they should be avoiding certain foods, then even intermittent use of a CGM could significantly reduce the, we think, the use of GLP-1s. And we need to recognize the satisfaction with our members being able to achieve these goals in a more cost-effective manner. And I really do think that providers are going to get on board. They're going to be seeing the utility of CGMs and really emphasizing the members that this is a key tool in diabetes management. No, I appreciate that. And, and I totally agree. And, and I'll even maybe add to that a little bit since I've spent so much time in my career you know, involved in care management programs and medication therapy management programs. It's that patient behavior, patient engagement component where you're seeing these changes more frequently. And it, I think it really causes or spurs that education and that behavioral change in patients. And but I also like the uh, time and range component of this. I don't know from a clinician perspective, if you have a different viewpoint on that, but I think that is super important relative to A1C, which is somewhat more stagnant, but just getting better control of the fluctuations or excursions, which we know leads to microvascular, macrovascular complications. Where do you see time and range going in terms of relative to say A1C? I can just illustrate what's happened in my office. I mean, I have already had two patients in my office today. We downloaded their CGM 
and we can illustrate to them what they're doing wrong, number one, with their pump, but also with the type two and saying to them, you need either bolus sooner or we need to change your correction factor. And the time and range is obviously key that the more time and range is gonna lower the A1C level. So they're all tied together. And the benchmark has always been the A1C level, but showing to those individuals their data and showing how much they have time and range, the smile on their face, but also the awareness that they need to change certain behaviors just becomes more evident to them. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's such an important component of this. So you've talked about your kind of internal process for covering these and opening access to these, but do you interact with customers or employer groups? I'm just kind of curious because there's a question around how do we convince health plans to pay for these devices? And I'll start and you can add to this, Roy, if you have any comments, but we've been pretty successful with our employer groups at showing them the value of this. These are products that actually, as science gets better, prices come down. So we have seen a movement from the medical benefit to the pharmacy benefit and even removing prior authorizations and opening access. So it really comes down to kind of what you mentioned, the cost of these. The cost of these are actually on a monthly basis, less than what we're paying for a lot of the medications in this space. And it's such an important augmentation to those drug therapies. And we do see an incremental improvement in outcomes and A1Cs and time and range and all of that. So I think this is a, a really a rare situation where the cost and the outcomes actually align, unlike a lot of specialty medications where we just see the cost go up so significantly that it's really hard to value the medical offsets. So I don't know if you have any different perspective on how you've convinced your customers to use these things. So Jeff, from a, a risk perspective, if we are the commercial and a comp- full risk, we have to accept that responsibility of providing safety quality from a decrease in A1C. But number thirdly is we have to demonstrate this cost issue. And as you just pointed out, the drugs are such a high cost right now that anything that we can do to demonstrate benefit with avoidance of those drugs is going to be key. I'd also bring up the point about self-insured plans that we need to demonstrate the value to them. We need to provide those other concerns of quality and safety to those employees that they have in order to show the value of the CGM. As I illustrated in the talk, for potentially a lot of the type twos, they could use the device intermittently. So they don't have to use it all the time to decrease the cost. And there are certain devices now that my members are paying $60 a month for their sensors once they initially obtain the device. So actually the cost is not prohibitive. And I really believe that compared with self-monitoring blood glucose, which in those individuals on oral drugs or type two really had limited benefit improving A1C, the continuous real-time glucose monitor is a total game changer. And it's going to, in my opinion, people who use it are going to have less end organ damage. They're going to have less mortality, less utilization of healthcare resources, and it's going to be a win for everybody. The payer, the employer, whether it's insured or self-insured or on a big commercial plan. All right. So there's a question related to that. And actually, is there any evidence of improvement or reversal of the damage of what you just mentioned in kidney or heart that may have occurred before really tightening the control of their glucose? 
as we all know, whether you look at the drugs, the SGLT2s or DLP1s, it takes three to five years in order to demonstrate that reduction in ischemic episode. But what we do have, we have data of time and range, which is looking therefore at the A1C level, which is then extrapolated to show decreased neuropathy in CKD. And I do not believe though, that there has been a study necessarily, it's probably in the works for long-term evaluation of the CGM data. And obviously compliance plays a role with that CGM to show in three to five years of less strokes, less MIs, less CKD four and five in those individuals who use a CGM. This is a developing technology, but you're right. Those important answers have to be there in order to show that it's not just A1C or ER visits. It's the long-term end organ damage that we have to prove has benefit with this real-time CGM. Thank you. So there's a specific question here, but I think it drives to what payers are trying to do to figure out who the appropriate patient is for CGM. So the question is that I think just this is an analogy or we can talk about who the appropriate patient is. If patients are being controlled, so say their A1C is around seven and a half by just using metformin, 500 milligrams twice a day, are they a candidate for using a CGM? So the first one is, is 7.5 control. So ironically, I just left the room of a middle-aged Hispanic individual whose A1C level was 7.6. She just lost her mother. She was typically around 6.7. And we discussed how the emotional impact of her mother's death has led to her diabetes, to me, not being in well control. So with 7.5, the ACE guidelines are going to be saying 6.5. The ADA is going to be saying under 7. So actually for end organ damage, the 7.5 is not in control. So we discussed concerning adding additional medications to her. So if we had placed, I'm going to give several responses to this. We could have placed a professional CGM for two weeks and said, how is diet affecting you? Could we have avoided the use of maybe an SGLT2, which is four to 500 hours a month by just showing her the foods that she should have avoided? So I do think that if you're thinking in the future about adding an additional drug besides the sulfonylurea that we all know then runs the risk of hypoglycemia, for which maybe a CGM also could show improvement, then yes, if this individual is not in control, they're just on metformin to avoid a more expensive drug, or if you use a sulfonylurea and monitoring the risk of hypoglycemia, a CGM could be beneficial. Uh, Excellent. So unfortunately, we're out of time. I wish we had more time. And I would like to thank Dr. Gandalfi for his contributions and insightful commentary. It's always great to talk to Lloyd. Thanks, Joe.